You gotta hear this song. Everybody said it. Everybody's heard it. It doesn't matter what age you are, certain songs just have that timeless quality. And so do certain biblical truths. And just like every generation discovers these songs, every generation needs to discover these truths. Mixtape, fresh voices for your summer. Albuquerque, how are we tonight? You doing okay? I'm so glad to be here. I know that I'm not in Tennessee because there was a lowrider in the airport and green chili on my pizza. And so I say, welcome home. Glad to be here. Every time I get a chance to come back to Albuquerque, it feels like home. And we're so glad to be here. I brought my wife, Jen. We got a whole row of family right down here. This is so fun. Um, we love what God's doing here at Calvary. You guys are a part of a phenomenal church. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. This is an incredible place. I want you to know that if you're actively serving and giving here at Calvary, you're a part of ministry around the world. There are church plants that launch out of here regularly. We're one of those. Uh, and and I, I'm just so thankful for your pastor that I call my pastor, Pastor Skip and, and Lenya and the team here, Nate and Janae and Matt backstage. And there's so many amazing people. Can we just put our hands together for what an incredible team that God's raising up here? We're just so thankful to be a part of all that God is doing all over the place. And I'm honored to be in this pulpit, at, on this platform. This is a place where so many world-renowned Bible teachers come, and it, it's humbling to me to be asked to be here. And, you know, as Pastor Skip mentioned on the video, we, Jen and I left here actually about 10 years to the date, almost. We moved from Albuquerque to Clarksville, really having no real idea of what we were setting out to do. Church planting has been quite a, the, the wild ride, you could say. We're 10 years in now, almost. Uh, our church, Awaken Church, celebrates 10 years this upcoming September. We've seen over 1,000 people. Yeah, we've, we've seen over 1,000 people put their faith in Christ in 10 years. Hundreds get baptized. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a book about it right now. I, I, I just feel like there's so much that needs to be shared about how faithful God is. When you just take a step, when you just launch out, when you're willing to trust God at his word and believe that he is who he says he is, you just never know what God's going to do. Amen? Um, so we're just so glad to be here. Uh, you know, church planting, like I mentioned, has been a wild ride. It's been heart pounding at some, at, at some moments. There have been some many challenges we've faced, some low valleys, some really high mountaintops, um, lots, of, lots of challenging situations. You know, life really, if you think about it, all of us have experienced some pretty crazy heart pounding moments, I imagine. I don't know what those are for you. Maybe it was something fun, maybe it was something scary. Um, I can think of a couple times. I, I once actually rode a bull in a rodeo when I was 18. It was the most heart-pounding 0.8 seconds of my life uh, on, on the back of that bull. Um, the scariest part was when you hit the ground and you don't know where that angry 1,000-pound animal is. You know what I mean? Um, just a few years ago, I got asked with, uh, to go with the U.S. Army Golden Knights and jump out of an airplane tandem style 
with one of these guys. And that was a heart-pounding moment. Typically, when you pull open the door mid-flight, that's what we call a federal emergency, right? (laughs) And normally, they're going to be waiting with handcuffs when you arrive. But this is part of the gig. And I remember when they slid open that door, and I'm strapped to a man I just met, and he goes, let's go. And we just... 120 miles an hour, terminal velocity, two and a half miles above the surface of the earth, plummeting toward Clarksville. It was, it was quite the wild ride. You may not know, speaking of heart-pounding moments, that this place holds a very special uh, place in my heart because right out here on the green belt is where I got down on one knee and proposed to my girlfriend, Jen, at the, back in the day. I remember I I pulled out the box and I opened it up and I said, I want to ask you to be my wife. And she put her hands on her mouth and she said, are you kidding me? And I was like, this would be a terrible joke. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. I paid a lot of money for this ring. So she said yes. And 15 years later, she's still with me. So I'm thankful for that. Life is, is full of heart-pounding moments. But you know what's interesting? I've, I've found out that with, no, no matter how hard your, your heart is pounding, to really feel your pulse, you have to stop and, and be still and listen. In fact, do this with me. Hold up two fingers and take your pulse real quick, either on your wrist or right up here. Can you feel it? Can you feel that heart? I hope you can. (laughs) If you can't, uh, we've got security that can help you. But what's interesting is that your heart's beating all the time, but a lot of times you don't even notice it until you stop and just really pay attention. And what I want to just share with you tonight is that God's word is actually kind of similar along those lines. God's word, I, I hope that you know this, and I know because I'm, I'm speaking to a few thousand people tonight that are at church on a Wednesday journeying right now through the whole Bible, so you know the power of God's word, I know that, but I, I want to remind you tonight that God's word is alive, and just like you have to stop and be still and listen to find your pulse, I want to remind you tonight that God's word works similarly. And if we're just blowing through God's word and and, and reading it for all of the wrong reasons, and we're going to detail some of those here tonight, we could actually miss the heartbeat of scripture. And I I hope tonight to help you understand how the, the pulse of God's word is beating throughout the pages of scripture. I want to share a message with you tonight if you're taking notes which you should be. I don't know if you know this. You have to actually take your notes with you to get into heaven. So I hope that... Did you bring, did you bring your notebook? Um, or your iPhone, at least. Jot it down. There we go. We got some, we got some note takers. There we go. Good. Yeah, that's a Wednesday night crowd. I love it. Write down this title. Here it is. It's the title of the message. These pages have a pulse. God's word is alive. Now, I know you know that, but I want to remind you of that tonight. God's word is alive, and here's why we know that. Because it's written by the living God about the living God to bring you and I to life. That's the point. 
God's word is a love story in many ways. But you know what's sad to me is that although God's word is alive, oftentimes what we do is we reduce God's word down to like a collection of bedtime stories. You know, it just becomes, it's easy, and all of us can do this if we're not careful. We can just reduce it down to this, uh, this, this grouping of some, some life application stories, you might say. Or if we reduce it even further, just like some promises that we like to put on a, on a coffee mug or a plaque hanging somewhere in our house. And I hope tonight really helps us be reminded that, it's, that God's Word is so much bigger than that. Because this book is so much more than a history book. In fact, it's so much more even than just a collection of stories. It's not really a whole bunch of stories. It's really a story. This is God's story. And it's, it's the story of the, the, the greatest love story ever told. In fact, this, this story is really a whole bunch. It's not really about how to live so much. It's really about why to live. And I think sometimes it's easy to look to Scripture to try to figure out all of the details of how to live. But if we're only focused on what I should do, I think we often overlook why I should even do it. God's Word is alive. So here's, here's a crazy thought. What if you're reading the stories, but you're missing the story? What if you're well acquainted with all of the the happenings and the characters and the things and you're flipping the pages but you're not feeling the pulse? Just like we have to slow down and listen to find our pulse, we need to slow down and listen to try to find the pulse of the pages of Scripture. So we're going to be tonight in John chapter 5. If you brought a Bible, I just want to look at two verses. I know right now you're in the middle of a Bible from 30,000 feet, so you're used to looking at like 40 chapters. (laughs) Come on, how great is Pastor Skip that he would take? My gosh, incredible. And he just breaks it down and you sit here and listen for an hour and you could go for another hour. Isn't it amazing? You guys are, are so blessed to have Pastor Skip. We're going to look at two verses, because he can do 40 chapters. I can handle about two verses, all right? (laughs) John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. I want you to think about this message tonight as kind of like a combination of Bible from 30,000 feet. We're going to kind of look at uh, some some big sections of Scripture and kind of just fly over it real quick. And uh, so, so kind of a combination of Bible from 30K as well as the Bloodline series as we learn kind of the, the pulse and the heartbeat of scripture. Two verses, John chapter 5, verse 39. I'll set some context here in just a moment. John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we believe That the name above all names, that is your name, Jesus. We just sang, we we sang our hearts out that that name is the name that breaks every chain. 
Lord, I pray that over all of us tonight. I pray that tonight would be an opportunity for us to have chains broken, sight restored, wholeness renewed. God, I pray that marriages would be reconciled. I pray that the gospel would be clarified. God, for somebody here who maybe just doesn't even know where they stand with you, somebody who's maybe not really into the church or Jesus thing, but they came to check out for some reason tonight, Lord, I pray you draw them in. I pray, Lord, that for those of us who have never heard the pulse of the pages of Scripture, we'd encounter it for the first time tonight. And God, I pray over the Christians in this room and listening all across the campus and, and maybe even tuning online, those of us who have been walking with you maybe for years or even decades, God, would you give us some new nuggets of truth tonight? Would you prepare our hearts for what you want to do in us and through us through the pages of your word? We love you, Jesus. Thank you that your word is alive and active. Change us tonight. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, I know I'm not the only one that has searched for something when it's in my hand. Are you with me on that? Like how many of you, come on, let's, let's, this is a place of safety, all right? How many of you have ever looked for your glasses while they're on your head? Come on, come on. Like, I can't find them anywhere. Put on your glasses, maybe you find them, right? How many of you have ever, I, I, I've done this before, where I search for my, I use the, the, the um, flashlight on my phone to search for my phone? I can't. <laughs> Where is it? Is it? No, it's not. I can't. Where's my phone? I can't find that thing. Tuck it in my back pocket. I'm so frustrated. Have you ever searched for your keys while holding your keys? They're not over here. They're not over here. I can't, I can't find them, right? They're in your pocket. You're holding them in your hand. One time, I, told, I, I remember yelling across the house that we needed milk. I was telling Jen, I guess we're out of milk. I was holding the milk jug, like looking through the fridge, trying to find the milk. So, so listen, I feel like our time together tonight needs to start with a little bit of a warning along those lines. I got three just thoughts that I want to share with you from John chapter 5, and the first comes as a warning. I'll give you three things that you can jot down. There will be plenty more as we go. Let's start with a warning. Number one, write this down. Warning. You can read the Bible and miss the point. All of us are prone to this. In fact, John chapter 5 is a, a, a brilliant example of our human ability to have the living word of God in our hands and completely miss the point of the living word of God. So for some context here in John chapter 5, so you understand a little bit about what's happening, Jesus is in the middle of a rebuke on the religious leaders in John chapter 5. Jesus is rebuking them for rebuking him. So why is he rebuking, uh, why, why did they even rebuke him beginneth? Well, if you go all the way back to John chapter 5, early, early on in the chapter, you'll read the story of Jesus stepping onto the scene to heal a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And the compassion of our Savior goes, I don't care what day of the week or religious traditions there are, if the man needs healing, I'm the healer. Jesus steps in with his heart of compassion and he reaches into the life of this man who, who couldn't move, who couldn't walk for 38 years and he heals the man. But the problem that the Jews have is that he healed on the wrong day of the week. You can't heal on the Sabbath, they tell him. You can't heal on the Sabbath, Lord of the Sabbath. You can't do that. 
Rebuking the Lord of the Sabbath for healing on the Sabbath is prime example of reading the Bible and missing the whole point. Here was the Lord of the Sabbath standing in front of them and they're telling him the laws about the Sabbath and what he can and can't do on this specific day. It's easy for us to do this. And my concern for any Christian is that I'm just thinking if the Jewish religious leaders who had large portions of Scripture committed to memory and and many of them made their living by reading this and memorizing it and, and teaching it, they made their living by this. If they could read it and miss the point, how much more can we read it and miss the point? This is, a, this is a big concern, I think, for us today. If these leaders could do it, we could do it. Now, I, I think there's a lot of different ways where you can read the Bible and miss the point. I'll give you a few examples. You can read the Bible and miss the point by reading the Bible to prove your point. And I imagine at some point we've all kind of been guilty of that. There's probably a Bible verse in here somewhere for that, right? I can find it, yeah, uh, if you turn to First Chronicles chapter, right, like we'll come up with something. Remove it from context, but hey, at least it sounds kind of like what I'm trying to get at. Miss the point. You don't, we don't turn to Scripture to win an argument. The, the point of Scripture is entirely different, but if, if we're reading the Bible to prove our point, we're reading the Bible and we're missing the point. We can, we can miss the point of Scripture by only reading the Bible to feel good about ourselves. I think it's easy for us to turn the Bible into like a spiritual form of ibuprofen. Right? Like, oh, man, life's giving me a headache. Maybe there's a Bible verse that could help me feel better. And I'm not saying it's bad to turn to Scripture when you're not feeling good. That's actually a really good thing. There's a whole lot of bad things you are, that, that we're all tempted to turn to when we're not feeling good. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But if that's the only time you turn to Scripture and, and Scripture becomes like a spiritual ibuprofen or a spiritual Red Bull to give you wings when you're feeling down, then you're kind of like, you're kind of missing the point. It's not really why God's Word has been, has been written. You know, when we were on the flight over here from Nashville to Albuquerque, they went through the whole spiel with the safety demonstration that all of us ignore. And he pulled out, like, he pulled out the placard and he told us about, about the, the safety instructions. They're in the back of your seat. He said, read it before you need it. And I was like, that'll preach right there. Amen. Amen. Read it before you need it. But listen, I think a lot of times the problem is we don't read it until we need it. And we're late in the game. And then at that point, it just becomes like a spiritual pick-me-up. And as soon as I'm finally, finally feeling okay about myself, I don't need God's word until I feel like I need it again. And if that's, that's, the, if that's the only reason you go to God's word, then you're kind of missing the whole point. It's about so much more than that. Now, if we look at what these Jewish leaders were doing... Here's an easy way to read the Bible and miss the point. Reading the Bible to find more rules to follow so you feel better about yourself. This is what they were doing. It says in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. The Bible, we don't worship the Bible. 
don't know if you know that. We're not saying the name that breaks every chain is God's holy word. Well, no, see, this is pointing to the one who breaks every chain. But this, it's searching in scripture by itself is not the thing that gives eternal life. And so, so there's, a, there's a very big difference here. Now, I want you to know, when, when I talk about finding rules to follow so you can feel, feel better about yourself, some of you guys are already thinking, like, I don't do that like, like the Jewish li- religious leaders do. But I just want us to clarify tonight that our default setting is legalism. What do I mean by that? Uh, what, what I mean is grace. Think about this for a moment. We love grace. We love God's grace. We love singing. We have a whole song about how amazing God's grace is. We love God's grace. But if you really drill down, grace doesn't compute in our human minds. Like you're telling me God gives that for free? Like there's nothing that I could do to get that? Well, surely if I at least read my Bible a little bit more, then surely if I'm just at church a little bit more, then surely if I go a whole day without doing that thing again, then... And and what we end up doing is we're trying to search scriptures to find rules that if I just follow that rule, then as though God blesses us because of that. Grace is free to all of us because it costs Jesus everything, right? But but grace doesn't compute in our minds. We got to figure out a way to earn stuff because that's what's built. That's kind of how we're wired. And so our default mode is legalism. In fact, I, w- I want to just take this uh, one deeper. Reading the scriptures themselves can become the act of legalism. If we're not careful. What do I mean by that? I, I mean, it's as though it's easy for us to treat God's word as though he determines the amount of blessing in our lives based on the quality and quantity of our quiet time. It's not how our God works. He's not a vending machine where we put in a certain amount of time with him and get out his blessing. That's not the way our God works. He just loves you. Like, you didn't have to do anything. On your worst day, God loves you. On the best day of your life, God loves you the exact same. He's not any more impressed with you. He's not disappointed in you. Can I just tell you, if you get nothing out of today, walk away with God loves you. He just loves you. He loves you. He lavishes love on you, whether you deserve it or not. This is God's, God's grace. And so, but our, our default mode is, is legalism. So Jesus here, he's saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. I, I want to clarify, Jesus is not trying discour- to discourage us from searching the scriptures. That's a good thing. But what he's saying is he's trying to highlight that searching the scriptures by themselves isn't the point. Like I said, the act of searching the scriptures can become the act of legalism if we're not careful. And so just like you can hold your keys while you're looking for the keys... You can flip the pages and miss the pulse. You can read the stories and miss the story. It's about so much more. Now, I want to share a second thought with you, but I want to preface this. Because I think a lot of times our problem is that we miss the main story because we mistake who the main character is. 
So what I'm about to tell you is going to sound very basic, especially for a Wednesday night church crowd. You're like, I don't think you understand. We're in the middle of Isaiah, a Bible from 30,000 feet, and so like, this is the big leagues of church here, all right? Most people don't come on a Wednesday night to study Leviticus, okay? But you guys are doing that. So maybe I'm preaching to the choir, and maybe what I'm about to say is going to sound very elementary. But I'm telling you, the nugget of truth I'm about to tell you, if you'll take it and apply it daily, I believe it will transform the way you look at God's Word. It's going to sound basic, but I'm going to explain it. Here's thought number two. Write it down. God's Word is not about you, it's about God. There it is. I flew from Tennessee to tell you that. And so you guys are like, well, yeah, it's God's word. It's like his name's right there in the title. We, we get it. God's word's not about me, it's about God. Now, here's, here's why I say that, and here's why I draw our attention to that. Um... I think we are accustomed to seeking out like prepackaged devotionals. Now, there's nothing wrong with a devotional. I wrote a devo- Pastor Skip mentioned I wrote a devotional on Proverbs. There's nothing wrong with a, a devotional unless it becomes our main course. So we're, we're, we're often conditioned to turn to a prepackaged devotional that gives a short summary of scripture and the practical application for your life. And it can condition your mind. If that's the only way that you ever read scripture, it can condition your mind to think that the Bible is actually for me. The Bible is actually about me. What, is, what do the pages of scripture have to say about me? I need to pick me up on my Wednesday morning. What does the Bible have to say about me for my Wednesday today? I'm struggling. Where could, I, where could I find a Bible verse that will help me feel better about myself? God's word isn't about you, though. It's actually about God. Jesus says it right here, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about me. He goes, you've been memorizing scripture this whole time, and the scriptures that you've been memorizing have been pointing to me. And here I am, and you're rejecting the very person that all of this is about. So we can see this played out in a lot of different examples. Luke chapter 24, there's a scene after Jesus, after the resurrection. Jesus is, uh, he ends up walking on the road with these two guys to, to Emmaus. You may be uh, familiar with the scene. And they're chatting about some news, some big news that's just gone down in Jerusalem. The crucifixion and resurrection of this guy, and we're thinking maybe he's the Messiah. Jesus, their eyes are blinded. They don't know that this is Jesus, the resurrected Christ. He's walking beside them, and he goes, hey, guys, talk to me about what's going on in Jerusalem, right? So they're starting to fill him in. Have you not heard? Where have you been? There's this guy, and he's crucified, and he's resurrected. And it says that Jesus began at Moses and the prophets and began explaining that the Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. He began at Moses. What books of the Bible did Moses write? The first five, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Jesus started all the way back at the beginning explaining that Scripture was pointing to Jesus. Acts chapter 8, there's another scene. One of my favorites because it has some humor in it. The Holy Spirit tells Philip to go out into the wilderness. He doesn't know why. He follows the Lord's lead out there. As he gets out there, there's a man in a chariot. Ethiopian eunuch, it says, in this chariot. And he's reading scripture. So the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go, go, go catch up to the chariot. <laughs> so that's what he does. He runs up beside the chariot. If you could imagine, you're driving down Academy and there's a guy just trying to wave you down, running next to you. What do you do? Lock your doors, okay? If we're in Albuquerque. In this scene, in Acts chapter 8, the guy invites Philip into the chariot. And Philip goes, what are you reading? He's re the man's reading from a scroll. And wouldn't you know he's reading Isaiah chapter 53? The suffering servant, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And Philip goes, okay, this is pretty cool. Do you know who you're reading about? And the man goes, how can I unless someone guides me? Philip goes, I could help with that. And it says, beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. That scripture. Isaiah was a prophet over 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And even Isaiah was pointing toward Jesus. This is why later on in Acts chapter 18, Paul could stand in front of the Corinthians and explain how Christ was the Messiah using the only portion of Scripture that they had at the time, the Old Testament. Why? Because all of it has always been pointing to Jesus. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church. I grew up going to church, and I remember my, my, my Sunday school teacher, when I was real little, gave me a little acronym to remember the Bible by. B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Some of you guys are like, I'm going to write that down. That's really nice. Let's stop real quick. Because I'm a little concerned with that acronym. And, and I know that my Sunday school teacher meant it in, with, with, with uh, you know, she had the right motives in it. But I'm a, I'm a little concerned. And here's why. I know it's cute and memorable. And, but, but I'm a little concerned at our tendency to look at the Bible as an instruction manual for our lives. I'm a little concerned about this. I'll give you a couple reasons. Number one, who reads instruction manuals, right? If I'm like, hey, here's an instruction manual, all the men in the room are like, throw that in the trash, right? I don't need no instruction. Why'd they give a book with my power saw? Maybe you'd have all your fingers if you didn't. Okay, anyway. But here's the second reason, and this, this is a big one. You're going to really struggle with Scripture if you approach it as though it's an instruction manual for your life. Why do I say that? Well, because as you start reading it, you're going to find, a, you're going to very quickly get to some portions in Scripture where you can't find yourself anywhere. And isn't this our tendency to always look for ourselves somewhere? When somebody shows you a picture that you're in, where, where's the first one that you look? Where am I, right? I'm looking for me. This, this is just natural human tendency. So if I've been told that this is my instruction book for my life, 
I'm going to get really frustrated when I'm just a few chapters into my instruction book and I'm just reading a chapter full of boring names. Where am I in the list? Well, what happens when you get to the next book and it's about God telling some people about how to put the tabernacle together? Where am I in that? And then when you get to the next book, you're like, what's with all the blood and the gore and the sacrifices? I thought this was an instruction book for my life. Where am I in this? You're going to get really frustrated. This is going to be really hard for you to take in as though it's about you. Because, listen, the reality is, if it's only about you, we don't need most of the pages of Scripture. We're going to need what? Like Genesis 1 and 2. We've got to figure out where we're from. Like Revelation 21 and 22. Know where we're going. And then just, I don't know, sprinkle in some of your favorites. Probably need like a Psalm 23, right? A Jeremiah 29, 11, a Romans chapter 8, a John 3, 16. Rip out the rest. Because all the rest is like some dead Jewish people, some cities and uh, names I can't pronounce. The first century church, like they didn't even meet in buildings. Like what's that got to do with me? You're going to get really frustrated if you think that this whole thing is about you. It's going to get very, very hard to keep pushing through Scripture. Because what we would prefer is a nicely packaged, easy to swallow and understand version of God's story. Chapter a day keeps the devil away. Hey, right? (laughs) Like, just give me a little pill to swallow. Little devotional that just points out how I can be better for my day. And then, I, and then I think I'll be okay. I can move on with, with my life. And this is going to cause some problems. You're going to get really frustrated if you think that this is only about you. Because the reality is, like, we, we like it to be packaged nicely. I don't know about you, but I think this is packaged probably about as nicely as we could possibly package it. I don't know what your Bible looks like. I got one of these fancy Bibles with, like, a goat skin leather on it. I don't know if you can see it, but my pages are gold and shiny. I got some bookmarks, some red bookmarks hanging out the, hanging out the bottom. It's divided up really amazingly nice, actually. Easy to, to, to find my way around. In the very front, I got the table of contents. We got one book, but it's divided up into 66 books and even broken further Old Testament and New Testament. 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. In the back, I got a concordance. I can find, how am I feeling today? Take me to that verse. In the very back, you got the part of the Bible that you've never even looked at. It has maps in the back. You didn't look at it because it's, you, you can't find your house on it. So what's the point? I'm not in there. That's a land I've never journeyed to. Why would I ever need to read that? This book is really packaged, I think, probably as nicely as it can be packaged. Because I can't imagine trying to fit the story of God in a book. This thing's rated R. I don't know if you've gotten to those portions of Scripture yet, but this thing, this thing's rated R in a lot of different places. Murder and war and judgment and sexual sin. I remember... When my kids were real little, I got the bright idea that, that every night, because I'm a loving dad, I wanted to read them a chapter of scripture before they went to bed. So I was like, we'll just start in Genesis chapter 1. And in like three years, we'll be through the whole book, right? So Genesis 1 and 2 were awesome. And then on Wednesday, 
the snake rolled into the garden. And on Thursday, one brother killed the other brother. And I say to my three-year-old, good night, sleep tight. We'll talk about that tomorrow at some point. And then I'm like a week and a half in and Noah, their hero, is drunk, laying naked on the... I'm, I'm like, I guess we're having another conversation later. And then if I would have kept going, because I gave up already, if I would have kept going, I would have gotten to the tabernacle and I would have gotten to these bloody, gory sacrifices. And like, this, this thing is really hard to package. There's all kinds of stuff in here that if I'm reading it for me... I just don't see how that applies to me. I, I just don't see where this has anything to do with me. I was reading my son uh, just the other day about, about Goliath. And I noticed, thankfully, that in his kid's Bible, it left off the end of the story where David is standing on Goliath's dead body holding his decapitated head. It didn't, that didn't make it into the kid's Bible because we need to keep that out, right? There's all kinds of things. Noah's Ark has been turned into this cute, floating, petting zoo story, right? <laughs> now, I don't want to ruin your kid's nursery, but I'm about to. Because the story of Noah's Ark is not really a cute, floating petting zoo. It's a, the horrific annihilation of mankind. If you want to be biblical in your kid's nursery, you're going to have to create a place where they don't even want to walk in there, right? <laughs> Lightning and thunder and rain, and there's like a dead guy floating on that wall and like an arm reaching up over here. That's the real story. But we like to see, what we do is we try to package it and take out all the stuff that I don't like and that's not about me so that I can feel good about myself. Now, I'm not hating on you if you decorated your kid, kid's nursery like that, but what I'm saying is this is a great example of so many places in Scripture where we've, we, we've, we've struggled with the relevance. How is this even about me? I can't even find myself in, in here, in all of these stories. They said this was the instruction book for before I leave earth, but I can't find me in any of these stories. The book of John ends with this verse. He says, this is only a fraction of some of the things that Jesus did. John 21, 25. He says, I suppose if all of the things that Jesus did were to be written down, all of the books in all of the world could not contain the works that he's done. So I'm thinking in light of that, this book is actually packaged really well. And if you're struggling with the relevance of God's word for your life, Maybe it's because you mistook who the main character really was. It was never about you. God's word is about God, not about us. In fact, not only are you not the main character, hate to break it to you, you're not even a character in the Bible. <laughs> you might have a biblical name, but the Bible's not talking about you. You're not even a character in, in the Bible. 
So let's flip this. Watch this. Because if you understand, finally, that God's word is about God and not about you, and you open the pages of Scripture, this is the part I'm telling you, if you will let this sink in and take this with you tomorrow when you open the pages of Scripture, when you, when, when it will transform the way you look at God's word. When you open the Bible to stop learning about me and learn about God, it'll change everything. Suddenly, this book comes to life. When I open the pages of scripture, I don't go, God, make, make me better and help me to learn about me. I go, God, teach me more about you today. I'm going to get better when I know God better. But I don't read the Bible to find out about me. I read the Bible to find out about God. See, here's what happens. Suddenly, when I'm opening the pages of scripture to learn about the author of the pages of scripture, all of the things that I was bored with prior now have all new life. I get to a, a, a page of the names of, of people of the Bible and suddenly I'm reminded that God is a personal God who cares about every name and every person that's involved. They're not just a crowd. He knows them by name and he's inviting us to be part of his story. And he loved them so much that their names made it into the pages of scripture. Not because they're the main character, but because God is and he loves them. And when I learn that about God, now I have a whole new appreciation for the, the personal nature of our God. Now when I get to the, the portion of the tabernacle, I just read through this recently at the end of Exodus. I'm fascinated that God cares so much about the creative design that went into the tabernacle. I'm reminded about God that I don't get to worship God in my terms. I worship God on his terms. Because I didn't read Exodus to learn about Kevin Miller. I'm reading Exodus to learn about the God of the, of the universe, my Savior. And when I, when I open the pages of Scripture to learn about Him instead of learn about me, it breathes all new life onto the pages of Scripture. Now when I get to the sacrifices, I'm right now in, I think today I read Leviticus chapter 7. Now I'm not trying to just blow through this gory, bloody book. But I'm reminded every day of the ugliness of my sin and that God requires blood to be shed to cover sin. Just, just today, I was underlining in Leviticus 6 and 7 about how the words atonement and forgiveness are always together. Because to be forgiven, there has to be some atonement. I know Pastor Skip has told you this, but that word atonement, if you take it apart, it's basically a, a basic meaning, at one meant. We're made one through the shed blood, and that's, only, that's the only way to receive forgiveness. See, I, I, learned, I learned a little bit about me as I learned about God and how ugly sin is. To our God. See, when I, when I open the pages of Scripture to, to read and learn about who this book is really all about, it changes everything. It breathes all new life into these pages because these pages have a pulse. Turns out reading the Bible is not really even at all about reading the Bible. It's about getting to know the author of the Bible. Don't approach it to just blow through your Bible reading plan. That's cool if by the end of 2019 you've got all that checked off. But if you don't know God any better when you get to the end, then what was the point? 
then at that point, we're just like the Jewish religious leaders who have read the Bible and entirely missed why they were reading the Bible. It's about getting to know God. I hope you breathe a little sigh of relief too, those of you who are trying so hard to push through a Bible reading plan. Because I want you to know, as hard as you are working at checking that thing off, God is not keeping, keeping track. He's not like, mm, missed Leviticus chapter 7, I saw that. He just wants to like hang out and talk. Can we get away from thinking about God as this angry tyrant and think about God instead as our loving dad in heaven? He just wants to talk. I was having some time alone with the Lord just a couple weeks ago. My son, he's five. His name's Haddon. He came outside. He found me on the back porch. And he, 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 he walked right up to me. Good morning, Dad. Hopped up in my lap. Hands behind his head and just laid out on my lap. And I was like, I'm, I'm trying to read my Bible. And I thought, me reading the Bible is... is this is a visual of that. My son on my lap, he just wants to hang out with dad. When I open the Bible, that's it. I just want to hang out with dad. Let's stop thinking about God as this angry tyrant and remember he just so desperately loves you. And he just wants to get to know you and he wants you to get to know him. And there's, a, there's this amazing thing that happens when you get into God's word. It gets into you. And it'll change you. Let me give you a third and, and final thought. And then I want to demonstrate just how, this, how this all plays out. Number three, would you jot this thought down? Because this is kind of the point. Don't just read about Jesus. Walk with Jesus. This is the point. Verse 40, Jesus says, actually back up, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. Yet, here's what he says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, we're, it's so easy for us to rag on the Jewish leaders here. I can't believe they, they memorize the scriptures, they read the scriptures, they're, they're holding the, the scroll of scripture and they're missing the whole point. If we're honest, we're a lot more like the Jewish religious leaders than we wish we were. In fact, to our shame, they studied the pages of Scripture a lot more than we do today. That's not saying anything good about us. At least they were searching the Scriptures. Here they were, the Scriptures that they were studying were pointing to Jesus, and they rejected the Messiah who is standing in front of them talking to them. But we're more like them than we would like to believe. Because it's easy for us to do the same thing when we're reading the scriptures and we get to a part of the Bible that conflicts, contradicts what we believe. Here's a question. What do you do when you get to a part of the scripture that conflicts with what you believe? Change what you believe. That's what you do. Listen, God's word informs our lives, not vice versa. We don't go to scripture with our theology already figured out. We go to scripture to receive theology. 
I'm learning about God in the pages of Scripture. And whatever I thought about God, if it's different when I get to that portion of Scripture, then I'm going to change what I believe to, back, to be backed up by Scripture. We're going to be people of the book, people of the Word, people who are defined by God's Word. We're focused on, we're shaped by, we're defined by the Word of God. And so true life, Jesus says, I'm standing in front of you. You thought you got life by searching the scriptures. Actually, true life is right here. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not a life, but the life. I'm standing right here. And so true life, if we think about this according to John chapter 5, what Jesus is saying here, true life is found in way more than just reading a book and obeying some rules. True life is about coming into contact and experiencing the author and the star of the book, Jesus. Because it turns out that the written word of God was written to point to the living word of God, Jesus. It's always been pointing to him. That's the heartbeat of scripture. I told you, these pages have a pulse. But you can only hear the pulse... Remember this? If you slow down and listen. If you're willing to dig a little bit deeper and say, not, not what does this have to do with me, but what can I learn about God here? And I believe if you'll take the time to dig, you'll start to see that all of it was always pointing to Jesus. In fact, let me illustrate it for you. If you've brought your Bible, go ahead and turn to the very, very front the table of contents. Watch this. Every book of the Bible is about Jesus. You're like, I don't know about Leviticus. I don't know about First Chronicles. Watch. Genesis. Jesus is the seed of the woman, the creator and the promised redeemer. Exodus, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Leviticus, he's the high priest and the lamb on the altar. Numbers, he's the cloud and the fire and the water and the bread in the desert. Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like Moses. Joshua, he's the commander of the Lord's army and the captain of our salvation. Judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver. Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. First Samuel, he's the prophet and the priest and the king. Second Samuel, he's the king of grace and love. First Kings, he's a ruler greater than Solomon. Second Kings, he's the power Powerful prophet. First Chronicles, he's the son of David coming to rule. Second Chronicles, he's the king who reigns eternally. Ezra, he's the priest proclaiming freedom. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of what is broken. Esther, he's the protector of his people. Job, he's the living redeemer, the mediator between God and man. Psalm, he's the Lord our shepherd, our song in the morning and the night. Proverbs, he's the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes, he's the meaning of life. Song of Solomon, he's the original lover and the bridegroom, the author of love. Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. Jeremiah, he's the righteous one that was wronged. Lamentations, the weeping prophet. Ezekiel, Jesus is the breath that gives life to dry bones. He's the son of man. Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. The son of man coming in the clouds. Hosea, he's the faithful husband. Even when we've been unfaithful. Joel, he's the one sending the spirit to baptize his people with fire. Amos, he's the burden bearer and the restorer of justice. Obadiah, he's the judge of 
evildoers and mighty to save. Jonah, he's the forgiving God, the greatest missionary. Micah, he's the messenger who brings good news. Nahum, he's the avenger of the elect, the stronghold in trouble. Habakkuk, he's the great evangelist crying for revival. Zephaniah, he's the restorer of the remnant, the warrior who saves. Haggai, he's the cleansing fountain and the signet ring. Zechariah, he's the humble king riding in on a colt and the pierced son. Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. Come on, with healing in his wings. Matthew, he's the Messiah who's king. Mark, he's the Messiah who's a servant. Luke, he's the Messiah who's the deliverer. John, he's the bread of life, the Messiah who's God in flesh. Acts, he's the ascended Lord, the spirit who dwells in his people. Romans, he's the justifier, the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians, he's the second Adam, the resurrection. 2 Corinthians, he's our down payment and the God of all comfort. Galatians, he's our liberty, the one who sets us free. Ephesians, he's the head and unity of the church. Philippians, he's the joy of our life. Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead, supreme over all. 1 Thessalonians, he's our comfort in the last days. 2 Thessalonians, he's our returning king. 1 Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man, the savior of the worst of all sinners. 2 Timothy, he's the the leader of leaders and the pastor of pastors. Titus, he's the blessed hope, the foundation of truth. Philemon, he's the friend closer than a brother, our mediator. Hebrews, he's the blood that washes away our sin and our great high priest. James, he's the great physician. He's the power behind our faith. First Peter, he's the chief shepherd, our hope and suffering. Second Peter, he's the one who guards us from false teaching. First John, he's the source of all life. Second John, he's the God in all flesh. Third John, he's the source of all truth. Jude, he's the foundation of our faith, the Savior who protects us from stumbling and revelation. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. And he is himself the light of heaven. When you cut the Bible... It bleeds Jesus. And when they cut Jesus, he bled love for you and me. The Bible has never been about you. It's always been about this one story. But could it be that you've been reading the stories and missed the story? When we landed in Albuquerque, our plane touched down. I heard the guy over the loudspeaker say, make sure to grab your baggage. I think too many people do that when they come to church. You brought in your baggage, just like you did when you got off that airplane, you take your baggage back home with you. Listen very closely. Tonight, I want, to, I, want, I want this row right here, the front of this stage, to represent the baggage claim. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment to put your faith in Jesus, to turn from your sin, and to come and bring your baggage, your addiction, your chains, your brokenness, your bruises, your failure, and I want you to come and bring it to the baggage claim. But here's the best part. 
when you walk away from the baggage claim, you leave your baggage and Jesus claims the baggage. That's the story of scripture. What this whole book is about is pointing us to the God who wants to take off of your shoulders what you were never meant to carry to begin with. He wants to take that weight that's weighing you down. You weren't built to carry it. Let him have it. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come forward. This is the baggage claim. You're leaving tonight without any bags. Because God's got them. That's the heart of the Bible. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, you're so good to us. We're so undeserving. Your grace is so good, even though it doesn't make sense in our minds. And Lord, tonight, I'm asking for those who are joining us online, for those who are all around this campus, maybe even sitting outside or in Solomon's porch or right here in in the main sanctuary, wherever they're listening to this, God, I pray that you would deeply impact our hearts. I know I'm speaking to hundreds, thousands of Christians tonight. There are many who have already put their faith in you, but Lord, I pray that you'd breathe new life into their relationship with you. God, forgive us for reading the Bible and missing the point and help us always to turn to scripture to learn about you instead of about us. God, right now, I'm specifically praying for the people who brought baggage into this place tonight that need to come leave it with you. And tonight, I'm inviting them. God, you are inviting them into the family of God. And I believe the heartbeat of Scripture, the pulse of the pages of this book, is that every person would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, rescued from their sin, chains broken. God, thank you for loving us. And I pray right now that those who need to put their faith in you would would do that. God, would you grab our hearts and bring us to you? With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, come on, would you just keep this a holy moment between you and the Lord? If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray pray with me right now for those who need to make this decision across this place? And I want to invite you in. If there's somebody here tonight believe there is. You're listening outside. You're inside with us. You're joining us online, wherever you're listening. If you need to come home tonight, if you need to bring your baggage and leave it here, Jesus is ready and able to take it if you'll let go of it. Doesn't mean everything will be perfect in your life. It just means now you've got God to walk through life with you. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? And in a moment, I want to give you a chance to step out of your chair when I call you forward and make this a public decision to follow Jesus. Is there somebody here tonight across the place who would say tonight, I'm in need of God's grace. I'm in need of forgiveness. Is there somebody here tonight? I see your hand over here on the side. Praise God. Come on, you're not alone. You lift up your hand wherever you are. I'm gonna give you a chance to come forward here in just a moment. If you're all the way in the back, I can see you. Come on, in the balcony. Where are you? You you put up your hand if that's you. In a moment, I'm going to invite you forward. This is your shot. This is your moment to come home. Be forgiven. 
Leave your bags with Jesus tonight. Is there anybody else tonight who needs to make that decision? Right over here on the front. Praise God for that. You can put your hands down once you've raised it. God, thank you so much for these hands that have gone up across the place. Lord, I pray right now you would give them the boldness to come forward and make a public decision to follow you tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church, would you stand? We got, we got a party to throw real quick, if you're okay with that. Come on, if you lifted your hand tonight, or maybe you didn't, but you know you should have, would you join me right here? Come on, this is the baggage claim. Bring all of your burdens, all of your scars, all of your pain, all of your doubt. Come on, right now, let's go. Come on, church. Come on for it. If you're joining from outside, come on baggage claim right here let it go don't leave yet you're gonna miss the party come on is there anybody else look at this come on this is it this is why we do what we do What a night. Can we put our hands together one more time? Listen, I don't know what your plans were for a Wednesday night. I don't know if it involved eternity change. But that was God's plan for your Wednesday night. This is it. This is, this is the moment. Listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to get all of the answers to your questions tonight. This is where it all starts. The Bible says it's not about being good enough right? Come on, we got more people joining us. Yeah. Wow. Wow. The Bible says, Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. It's not like you, well, I hope that you will. It's like if this is it and you're really willing to let go of the past and trust that Jesus is your savior, this tonight is your baggage claim. You leave all your failures and your sin and your regret and your shame. And we don't listen to a word of the condemnation of the devil any longer because the moment he speaks up in your life, you say, no, Jesus took that bag. He took that for me. That's not who I am. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. That's not who I am. Come on, I want to lead you in a prayer. We're going to church. We're going to say this out loud. Come on, in support of them. But I just want to give you a few words to say. You're saying this to God, not to any of us. But I just want to give you a few words to say as you pray, as you prepare your heart and, and put your faith in Jesus. Say this out loud after me. Say, Jesus, tonight I put my faith in you. I'm leaving my bags at the front. All of my pain and my shame, take it tonight. I'm all yours. I want to follow you.
Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and for rising from the dead because you're alive. Now I'm alive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.